0: Starting Saturday, March 21st through Sunday, March 29th, supporters from all over the nation will run or walk 3.1 miles to make a difference for rare disease. The first annual Denim-5K Run-Walk for Rare Disease is a virtual race created by Orphan Drug Solutions and Global Genes. You've got the flexibility to participate wherever and whenever is most convenient for you. Run or walk any time between March 21st and March 29th and raise awareness and funds to support families affected by rare disease. Register today and get your race packet at givehope.globalgenes.org forward slash denim 5k. It's that easy. I'm Daniel Levine and this is rare The search for cures for diseases is limited by the ability of scientists to consume and understand the rapidly expanding volumes of biomedical literature produced each year. Andrew Sue, Associate Professor in the Department of Molecular and Experimental Medicine at the Scripps Research Institute, has a solution. He wants to enlist members of the rare disease community and general public to become citizen scientists and pour through biomedical journals to help find connections and identify research in one area that may shed light on another. We spoke to Sue about his project Mark to Cure, the role crowdsourcing can play in accelerating rare disease research, and why members of the rare disease community may be better suited for elucidating important findings than supercomputers. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thank you. We're in an age of rapidly expanding information. There are an astounding number of bits of data being created each year. But in the world you live in, the world of biomedical research, this has a fair bit of consequences just in terms of what any individual scientist is able to do to keep up with the amount of research being published. How big an issue is that?
1: I think it's a huge issue, actually. So, you know, the NIH spends $30 billion a year roughly uh, promoting biomedical re- research. And the primary output from that, that investment is, are, are journal articles. So there are about 1 million new journal articles published each year. So that's approximately one every 30 seconds. So it's impossible for any one scientist to really stay up to date on the latest research. And what we really need is is sort of a a way where scientists can uh, computationally query that data and access that data and and analyze that data. But right now it's it's sort of locked up in free text and figures when we really need to convert what's called that unstructured knowledge into more structured knowledge that we as computational scientists can then use.
0: Well, there, there's another piece of the consequence here, you used the example of Alexander Fleming and the discovery of penicillin as an example of the slow pace at which scientific knowledge has traditionally migrated. Can can you explain that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Alexander Fleming uh, made his discovery that um, you know he he left out a a, a bacteria a plate of bacterial culture, and he had this this. Uh, Mold spore that landed on this plate and found that it killed the bacteria, and this was later purified to be penicillin. But the interesting part was that that Fleming didn't have the skills to really purify penicillin and really take it to the next level. It wasn't until ten years later that uh, other scientists, um, Ernst Chain and and um, Howard Florey, were able to uh, do that last step. And so, so much about scientific advance is about putting people with complementary expertise and complementary skills together. And so, you know, building these bridges between um, different areas of science is really important. But again, as uh, as the volume of the literature, the biomedical literature is just so massive, I mean, staying up to date on my little world where I'm supposedly an expert is hard enough, much less staying abreast of all the um, all the other findings uh, that are going on in related disciplines where connecting to those related disciplines might really lead to the next breakthrough
0: well your answer to addressing this challenge of how to accelerate the pace at which scientific knowledge is digested and and keeping pace with the volume of new information that's being created is crowdsourcing enlisting so-called citizen scientists to wade through scientific research, and help identify key pieces of information. Your initiative, Mark to Cure, aims to do this in the area of rare genetic disease research. What is Mark to Cure?
1: Well, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we have had a long-standing interest in crowdsourcing. And one particular flavor of crowdsourcing is engaging people who are interested, not trained scientists, but just people who have an interest in advancing biomedical research, uh, uh, in engaging them in the scientific process. So we created this experiment where we asked, um, non-scientists, just volunteers, to do a task in what's called bio curation. Uh, bio curation is when we take free text and, um, we convert it into structured data, something that we can compute on. And typically, bio curation is done by PhD trained um, uh, scientists. And we wanted to know, can we actually get our, P, uh, our, our non-scientists, uh, our volunteers to do the same thing? And so uh, we ran a, a test where we actually paid people small amounts of money to do this. And what we found was that one non-scientist was not as good as one PhD scientist, not surprisingly. But if we combine the efforts of six non-scientists uh, in, in this one particular biocuration task that was a little bit better than a single PhD-level scientist. And when we got to approximately you know, a, a committee of 9 to 12 uh, different non-scientists, then we're actually almost as good as a committee of PhD-level scientists. And so what that said to us is that non-scientists are capable of contributing to these biocuration tasks. And now Mark Tecura is testing the next step in that process. Are people willing to actually come and contribute their time um, in an effort to advance biomedical research. mark to cure really frames that in the context of, of disease research, right? So many people, especially in the rare disease space, feel um, uh, underserved by the research community. And so mark to cure is a platform that we envision, you know, where it's a, it's a real and tangible way where we can say to these communities, hey, if you come help us do this task, You'll be helping this researcher solve this particular problem that ultimately will help advance research in this area of biology that, that you really care about.
0: So my guess is you may have more faith in the ability of people to do this kind of work than they may have in themselves. Is there a case you need to make to ordinary scientist citizens to to trust themselves to be able to do this?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great point. Um, I'll, I'll say that we do a fair bit of training, Right. Um, Our uh, We start with anybody who can read English, right? That's sort of our baseline. And what people have to realize is that there are a few places where humans still far, far exceed the capabilities of computers. And language comprehension is exactly one of those areas. So what we tell our volunteers is that even if you don't understand the exact context and significance of what you're reading, uh, we're going to train you to be able to identify the key concepts and just using your normal language skills, uh, parsing grammar, recognizing vocabulary, um, we're going to to tell you how you can help. The other thing that we want to emphasize is that, you know, you as an individual aren't making uh, an exact uh, declaration in a scientific sense. We're combining your results with uh, 10 or 15 other people who are looking at that same document doing that exact same task. And so even if on occasion one of you, uh, one person in this giant crowd gets the answer quote-unquote wrong, um, on average this crowd of individuals, the citizen scientists as a whole, tends to be uh, do very, very well in, in these types of uh, uh, biocuration
0: tasks. Are there some examples of Scientists enlisting the general public in this way, have, have scientists been able to engage people like this before?
1: Absolutely. Uh, this is uh, something, the, the earliest example of this was actually um, ornithologists. This was probably the, the first example, where um, ornithologists, people who study bird migration patterns and so forth, uh, needed better censuses of bird numbers. And so they actually turned to uh, amateur bird watchers to help count um, birds in their local neighborhoods. And this now is a yearly event. It's called the, uh, uh, the Audubon Christmas Bird Count. Um, and so that's been fantastically successful. Uh, online, probably the best example of um, citizen science was actually spearheaded in the space of astronomy where we were getting so many images out of the Hubble Space Telescope and and other uh, uh, sky surveys that uh, humans were just not able to keep up, and again, the computer algorithms weren't that great. And so this Galaxy Zoo project came into fruition where, in the span of uh, uh, several weeks, they were able to get millions of classifications of galaxies based off of their size and their shape and things like that. And that was uh, one of the most successful uh, examples of citizen science online. And since then, um, more and more efforts in biology have have uh, demonstrated this concept as well.
0: Well, help me understand how mark to cure works. What would a volunteer be asked to do?
1: So ultimately, um, the, the problem comes back to this idea that the literature is too large, right? I can't read, um, you know, all million papers that come out every year. So I want to be able to get the essence of what's in all million of those papers into a database. And what does it mean to have the essence? Well, at its core, we want to identify the key concepts that are mentioned in each paper. Okay, So what are the key concepts? There are things like genes and proteins, drugs, diseases, uh, symptoms. Uh, Those are the the, the types of concepts. And then we want to identify the relationships between those concepts, uh, does a mutation in a gene cause a disease? Is a disease treated by a given drug? Is a drug metabolized by a given protein? Those types of relationships um, are uh, important into assembling what I consider to be this knowledge network of biology. Right, concepts and the relationships to be. Between those concepts, if we could comprehensively create this knowledge network for all one million new articles that come out every year, for all of the twenty-four or so million articles that have been published, um, you know, in the past century, um, that would be an incredible resource uh, for biomedical researchers.
0: Well, part of the goal here is to find connections, identify research in one area that sheds lights on another. But help me understand the end product. How does the work the citizen science does translate into something the scientist actually uses and benefits. Is it this grand database that's searchable? Or
1: yeah, I mean, having that that database be accessible and searchable uh, would be an incredible resource. So, as an example, um, right now there's no um, comprehensive database where I can search for all the genes related to a given disease, for example, uh, that have been published in the past. That knowledge is fragmented between many different databases and and then the primary journal articles themselves. So um, this knowledge base that I'm describing would at its core answer that type of question. Uh, Even beyond that, we can get to more and more complex questions. Uh, So especially in the rare disease space, um, one of the, the, the key concepts is this idea of drug repurposing. So there are hundreds of um, uh, available FDA-approved drugs, and some of those drugs may actually be useful for some of these rare diseases, but we just don't know about it yet. So this knowledge network will help us identify those, those links where currently approved drugs may actually be uh, useful for treating diseases um, and that link just hasn't been recognized yet.
0: And is there something about the rare disease community that makes them particularly well suited for a project like this?
1: I, I think so, and it goes back to this idea that uh, the rare disease community, I think, in large part, feels a little bit underserved by traditional biomedical research. There aren't that many um, uh, researchers, and the, the the pace of research. Um, you know, it's these small, small communities of researchers that, um, that that we need to organize together, and again, build bridges to other areas of biology. So, what you find is that um, these rare disease communities, uh, patients, parents, family members, friends, um, are incredibly motivated, and in some cases, have are are already diving into the literature at quite a deep level. So, just Uh, you know, if Mark Secure is a platform where we can organize and harness those efforts collectively um, towards, you know, focused goals, uh, I think that could be uh, incredibly valuable. And the feedback we're getting from sort of Rare Disease Foundation, I think, um, reinforces this impression.
0: Well, we're in an age of big data and artificial intelligence. IBM's Watson has demonstrated some of of this power. You've alluded to this a bit, but Is there some advantage to a crowd solution rather than a supercomputer to accomplish what you're trying to do?
1: So I'll say um, first that uh, Watson, of course, is an incredible success story. Um, And applying Watson and related technologies to biomedical research is something that uh, many groups are pursuing. Um, So I think there's great promise in that having said that, Watson isn't perfect, right? Uh, Watson um, uh, is still not as good as humans in terms of reading and comprehending knowledge. So there is this um, opportunity for uh, humans to improve that process. So we're working with um, other teams in this field of so-called natural language processing, uh, text mining, um, and um, essentially, we want to have a feedback loop between, uh, computer methods and human-based methods where the humans can create, um, knowledge bases that the computers can then use as training data to make their algorithms more powerful and more accurate. In turn, we want to use those computer algorithms to, um, uh, to pre-process the data That the humans are looking at to make our human volunteers that much more efficient. So we have this continuous feedback cycle between um, computer algorithms and making those better and the human volunteers and making them more efficient.
0: A mark to cure is currently in beta. What do you need to get to proof of concept?
1: Well, so we've generated a proof of concept that I alluded to before, which shows that people are capable of doing the biocuration task that, that we've been describing. And now we're really testing the concept of are people willing to, right? Are people willing to uh, contribute their time in the same way that, you know, they'll contribute 10 bucks to um, a, a walkathon, a right? Uh, spend uh, 10 minutes, um, half an hour, an hour uh, on your own time, uh, to try to help us show that volunteers can have the same level of accuracy um, as as professional PhD-level scientists. And in that way, right, we can really build a system. It, it, once we have that proof of concept, then we can build a system that will scale to the rate of biomedical research and to the rate of biomedical publication.
0: What does someone who wants to get involved with Mark Tuckier need to do?
1: All you do, have to go is go to mark2cure.org.
0: That's uh, Mark Two Number Number Two Cure, one word. Uh, uh,
1: Mark's right, exactly. Mark Two uh, Care.org. Uh, the letter, uh, the number two. And um, there's a link there to uh, our first beta test. You go there and um, click Start Now, and we'll walk you through everything that you need to know in terms of how to use our interface and the exact tasks that we're asking people to do. And um, once we tackle this, uh, problem. We're going to analyze the data, and we'll have a full recap uh, to back to all the participants and post it on our blog, and we'll share how our citizen science experiment works.
0: Andrew Sue, Associate Professor in the Department of Molecular and Experimental Medicine at the Scripps Research Institute. Andrew, thanks so much for your time today.
1: It's been my pleasure.
0: A few housekeeping notes, over on her sister podcast, The Bio Report, tune in to hear Amy Miller, Executive Vice President of the Personalized Medicine Coalition, discuss President Obama's new precision medicine initiative and whether its ambitions exceeds its budget. Then next week on Rarecast, listen to Noah Coughlin, founder of Run for Rare, as he gets set to take off on a 3,100-mile cross-country run from the Statue of Liberty to San Diego's Ocean Beach, to raise awareness and support for the fight against rare diseases. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at